Good evening for once. It's uh, it's quite late for uh, from where we are. Early where Aaron is, of course. He's currently uh, over there in Australia at the Women's World Cup. We're going to be chatting to him, which will take away the... We had these in for other purposes during the week. We're back to normal now. It's just a general weekly chat. We will be talking all things Avenir Cup final uh, later on in the program as well. We're going to be joined by Dermot Carney, one of our reporters, who's going to talk to us. He's been previewing the U.S. team. He's following their exploits over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, all of our reporters, of course, across a range of different teams on the platform over the next uh, four to five weeks because uh, we just want to cover the games. We want to bring them all to you. We've been reporting live on all of the games, even the 3 and 2 a.m. Uh, ones that, I'll be honest, not a whole pile of you are tuning into, but that's not really uh, a surprise because of the, the timings of it and where you should be fast asleep in your bed. Someone who's been doing just that after a bit of jet lag uh, is Aaron Clark. Aaron, uh, you're very welcome again back to the... The final whistle women's football podcast uh, for another uh, look back at the the World Cup. Welcome in. Yeah, you say, you know, falling asleep. But yes, it was probably the first example. It's been a lot of traveling the last week or so. And I think it's catching up a little bit. And it's nice just to have a sleep and, and, and you know, wake up, wake up feeling fresh. It's, it's weird because when you look at over here, the games are on mad different times, like the, the time difference. And you see people still on social media waking up to watch some of these games just because their favourite players are playing in them. It's mad because it's women's football and not many people would have thought a couple of years ago people would be waking up in the middle of the night to watch some women's games and, and, and especially to see the coverage that the Women's World Cup is getting and to have all the games covered on Final Whistle as well is, is brilliant because it means people will wake up in the morning and they'll know where to go, they'll know where to look for and, what, and where they can find all the information they want. Uh, just to put people in perspective of what the time is there, it's 11 p.m. as we record this and as we go out live here on uh, on Final Whistle. Uh, your neighbours are up and banging next door to you. Obviously, we can hear the the, the, the development work going on in your vicinity. Um, what time is it where you are? It's what's it? It's just gone eight o'clock in the morning. Um, up up bright and up bright and early for me because I'm out the door in about an hour's time off to speak to some of the Irish players as well, get a bit of reaction from the Ireland camp off of off the Thursday night's game and sort of see where the mood is going into going into the game in Perth on Wednesday. So it's a bit a busy time. Head to Perth tomorrow, sort of soaking a bit of the atmosphere. But yeah, a bit of noisy neighbours this morning. Been been going since about half six this morning, but it didn't really bother me because I was because I was awake anyway. Uh, well, listen, let's maybe take a quick look back and, and look at our own lie of the land after uh, that Irish game at the weekend. Um, or sorry, during the week uh, in terms of the Australia game, it's, I suppose, we the dust has settled now. We're more than 24 hours out from the game, uh, maybe 36 hours out from the game. And your thoughts now as you look back on the 90 minutes for, from an Ireland perspective? It's... It's it's difficult when you when you look back on it because there's obviously a lot of what ifs. What if we'd have taken one of them chances? What if we didn't give the penalty away? I think the biggest override overriding emotion is probably is probably pride with the fact of seeing so many Irish in, in Sydney. Like I was I was out at the ground at about four o'clock, half four that day, and even from them you've seen all the Irish out there out, out in force, the numbers, the green. And when you when you look at it, it's just I think the overriding emotion is probably pride. Yes, disappointing with the res, with the result, especially not to get something out of the game. Like same thing again. It's sort of not necessary. It's switching off for a moment. And I know we're going to talk about the penalty incident in itself, but there's more. How would you say 
issues in the lead up to the penalty as well. It's not just the giving away the penalty, it's just the build up to the play, the penalty. There's a couple of times Ireland maybe got lucky where they gave the ball away in silly positions, trying to take one touch too many or trying to do something a little bit fancy and gave the ball away and nearly got punished. Would have liked to see like the options that were on the bench maybe being used a little bit, utilised a little bit more. I think if, if if your last resort is just to throw Louise Quinn up top when you've got more subs available, it sort of tells me a little bit, does Vera trust the bench? Not so sure. Amber Barrett sort of warmed up a couple of times against France. Same thing, bib on, bib off, didn't come on. Same thing again last night. Let's talk, let's talk about Amber Barrett for a second because I've seen this been thrown around by a lot of different people in the media and while it's an easy out, she scored the goal that got us the World Cup, she's become a bit of a cult hero when it comes to the women's game in the country, but the reality is Amber Barrett played a full season with Potsdam in Germany this year, didn't score a single goal in I think something like 17 games, granted been played out of position at right back in a lot of those games um, the the clamor for for her not being even in the squad was probably justified based on her form at club level. For whatever reason, I know she's come out and said it's uh, there was a difference of opinion with the manager and whatever, and I get that. But but the reality is she hasn't been on form, and that goal in Hamden aside, which let's not forget is nine months ago now. Um, Zambia was her first. Zambia was her first two goals since that. Yeah. Like for me, the problem is the pop. Go on, I'll let you ask the question first. My question really is: Is that the type of form you want? Forget the forget the the personality, forget the name, but that profile of a player isn't exactly the type of person who is putting their hand up for selection for, in that situation when you need a goal to win a game. Right, I'm gonna flip it. I'm gonna flip it. Take away Denise O'Sullivan. Take away Katie McCabe. Who else is scoring goals, or who else is putting top class performances? Week in, week out, on winning sides with clubs, not many. There's not many. Not, the, not problem, many. the problem is, for me, the problem is, Brett, is when when you bring two, when you bring four forwards, two of them are already on the pitch. That's where the clamour sort of comes from. There's no other attacking options. It now goes back to should she have brought Leanne Kern and Leanne Kern, oh, no doubt, 100%. would have offered something completely different. But that's why the clamour started coming. Barrett, Barrett, Barrett is because Barrett's the only attacking option that's left that's not being used. One of your other attacking options is playing at right wing back. Katie McCabe is playing at left wing back. You're sort of clamoring yourself. I think I still think the five at the back doesn't really do Ireland any any justice. It's sort of it's the way they're set up, and it's going to be set up to be extremely negative, and it's going to set up to sort of rob a counter attack or rob a rob a goal from 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 what you call it, say rob a goal from a set play. And like there was times you could see Katie McCabe's deliveries from corners were causing awful lots of trouble for Mackenzie Arnold. Megan Connolly's deliveries, a lot of them weren't great. There was one in, one laid on from a corner that, that caused a lot of trouble, but most of yours weren't great and didn't really give Ireland an opportunity. And I think realistically going forward is that if they go out with the same sort of formation and the same sort of game style, gameplay against Canada, it's going to be another extremely difficult another extremely difficult game. You're sort of hoping to bite off scraps and bite off what Canada will give you, but can you really do it with five at the back? That's the question. And I think Karen Duggan sort of alluded to it in, in the Irish Times is that Ireland are just way too set on this five at the back, and it's all well and good with with five minutes to go, um, changing players and bringing on a bringing on a defensive player and putting Louise Quinn further forward and going forward at the back. But if you're dealing with a couple of minutes to go, chasing it, chasing the game, it, it doesn't look great. Yes, you'd like to say, you'd like to say that from an Ireland point of view, 
we can go and attack more. But I think the final third's probably been the most disappointing thing. It's probably been the most disappointing thing for the year, not necessarily just for the opening game against the World Cup. I think it's been for, for the whole of 2023. We've sort of struggled in the final third. Yeah, I just want to say before we go any further, if anyone's watching this and wants to contribute to the conversation, of course, you can drop a comment on the social platform you're watching us on, whether it's Facebook, Twitter or uh, YouTube. We will be able to bring your comment in and maybe uh, react to your opinions on this as well. Did you think Ireland uh, should have got more than a 1-0 defeat out of the game? Did they deserve a, a point possibly from the game or maybe not? Maybe you uh, think everything worked out the way it should. Um, th- one of the things that's been fairly constant across all of the various Irish media, I'm not sure how much of it you've been able to see on the other side of the world, but has been this reality and this perception that the the introduction of Abby Larkin and Lucy Quinn in the last 20 minutes gave us an impetus to go forward. Um, personally, I don't think it had much to do with the personnel that were on the pitch. I think if you'd started with Abby Larkin and Lucy Quinn and and let them off for the first 70 minutes, you would have got a very similar output from what we got from Shiva and Farrelly. And then if you took if you had unleashed Shiva and Farrelly to actually go and attack the Aussies, I think you'd have seen something similar. I think more of it was down to game plan rather than actual the personnel. And I don't know if, if Larkin deserves all the credit she's getting and Shiva in particular deserves all the, I suppose the, the criticism that she's gotten in the last 36 hours. I'll start with the Shiva one, to be honest with you. I think Shiva's been made a bit of a scapegoat and it's extremely unfair because you even seen her when she walked off the pitch, Marissa was in tears. You could see how much, how much it meant to her. But for me, and I've seen a few people saying it is that there's more, as I said already, there's more mistakes in the build up to that penalty that could have been a preventable, that could have prevented the ball from even getting to where it gets to. Yes, it's clumsy. The tackle is clumsy, but it's it's, unfor- it's unfortunate. And I think the headlines are poor. You're right. I've seen a lot of it where it comes to Abby and Abby and Lucy. And you're right. If, if it had been the opposite way around with Sinead, start, with Sinead and, and Marissa coming off the bench, I think they would have given the same sort of the same sort of impact. Yes, Abby, Abby did some, some some good things. Absolutely. Is it enough to start the game against Canada? Is it a big risk to start her against Canada? I think it probably is a big risk. Um, to be honest, she's on, she's only 18. It's putting a lot of pressure uh, pressure on a young player. And then what happens if it doesn't work? Are we going to see the outcry from Irish media then coming to say, oh, Abby shouldn't have played. Oh, it's a big risk. It's a step too far. I think the problem here in this situation is the, the likes of an Abby, uh, an Abby and a Lucy, they're in a lose-lose situation in this because... People will say, yes, they made an impact. Should they start? And then if it doesn't go their way, it, 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 they'll be the ones to be clamoured, oh, maybe it wasn't the system. Maybe it was the system. Maybe it was Australia tiring a little bit. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. And I think from a from an Ireland viewpoint, yes, the last 20 minutes was, prob- was probably a lot better. But at the end of the day, while it was better, Louis, the best effort we has, had was Louise Green head white. You know, we didn't really have Mackenzie. We, we didn't really make Mackenzie Arnold make a lot, an awful lot of saves. Granted, she was under massive pressure from the from the set play delivery, but she she managed to get them away, or or, or Australia managed to get them away in the second phase. But there was no real clamor or no real no real massive efforts. I think the probably the other best chance that we had was when Kate when when Heather Payne released Katie McCabe, and she sort of just couldn't get the ball out of her feet to get the strike away. And like while while we're talking about impacts that was being made. We still we still struggle to have shots on target, and I think that's the biggest thing that needs to change for for the next game. Yeah, possibly one of the best chances we had was early on. Uh, like a lovely little move on the break from Denise O'Sullivan to Katie McCabe, and she put a ball into Kira Caruso that Caruso just couldn't get on the end of, and and it got cleared unfortunately. But listen, I, I think 
I don't think we deserved anything more than what we got in the game. I think on the balance of play, Australia were by far and away the better side. We did pile the pressure on for the last uh, 20 minutes. But as you said, it was deliveries from McCabe's corners that were aimed at the goalkeeper, which is not a great game plan. I just felt the I felt the whole approach and was just naive. We didn't have a plan B. Louise Quinn, as you mentioned, seeing Louise Quinn out in the right wing. Now, I've worked with Louise. I've, I've coached her in the past. Um, I would never have put her in the right wing. Like it's, We talk about attacking options. Onyo Gorman on the bench for me. Uh, I know she's downlisted as a defender in the Irish squad and has been for the best part of a decade, but the girl has scored nearly twice as many goals as anybody else in the Women's National League, considering she hasn't played in every season uh, with a couple of with a surgery in um, Doncaster early on in the, in the, the league's existence. Um, that's pretty impressive, you know, and if you're looking for a goal, it's on your Gorman I'd be looking to spring from the bench or an Amber Barrett, regardless of how her, her form was coming into the tournament at, at club level. Um, but Louise Quinn is not an option up front. I've said it from the start when... Uh, they did it, and, and it's not the first time. We've seen this probably half a dozen times when we're chasing results. It hasn't worked in any of those games against arguably inferior opposition. Why is it going to work against an Aussie team that just seemed to be able to soak up everything we threw at them in the air? Very valid, very valid point. You look at when Ireland went on the run of seven defeats in a row against the, the higher nations. Every every game, Louise Quinn was thrown up top towards the end. I don't think she was probably thrown on, on the right wing. I think that was more just of a situation that the way she ended up at that stage. But like when you're throwing her up top and you're it that to me that says I don't trust the players that I have on the bench to come on and get me in it to get an impact in and potentially get me a get me a, a draw. And that's probably the most disappointing thing because it's something that we maybe talked about a little bit in the in the in the build up to the World Cup is how many players would she use during the World Cup, and I think this might have given us an evidence that there might be, there might be maybe one other player depending on situation or two other players depending on situation that may make Macy game time in the three games. Vera sort of set her stall out quite quite early on because you have five subs and she didn't she didn't trust any of the others to come on and. That's my opinion to, to 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 get an impact because otherwise you would have brought these sort of players on, especially if you're chasing the result, like. All granted, Louise Quinn up top, but how many actual deliveries did they get into Louise when she was up top? They didn't get the ball to her feet and get her to hold up the ball and try and get people off her. It was sort of a case of she went up top, but there was no actual game plan for as to what they were going to do and how they were going to utilise Louise either. That was the biggest problem. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Talk to me about the Aussies for a minute. Of course, we haven't mentioned the fact that Sam Kerr missed the game and will miss the Nigeria game as well through injury. I, I'm guessing, depending on how results go, may even potentially be rested for the Canada game if, if Australia already guaranteed a passage through at that stage. Um, your thoughts on, on how the Aussies did? I was quite impressed with them in, in places. I thought Ellie Carpenter did well. Um, the goalkeeper didn't have a whole pile to do, but the end she did was, was fairly solid. Uh, but some really impressive work from, from some of their players through the 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, I'll start with Sam Kerr one. So we were at the press conference today before Sam Kerr actually done the press conference. It didn't look to be an issue with her. There was nothing said. And Tony Gustafsson started coming out, Gustafsson started coming out after it and was like, yeah, we completely lied to the media. We knew before it happened that morning in Brisbane and... Like to even bring Sam Kerr up was to the press conference knowing she's not going to play. When you, when you look back on it and you sort of think when she was asked about the somersaults and she sort of said, um, maybe hopefully if I score later in the tournament, it's probably something you, you could have read, read into it to say, okay, maybe Sam Kerr isn't going to be fit. But from an Australia viewpoint, yeah, they've done, a lot, they've done a, lot of, a lot of good things. I think for them, I think the Ireland game was always going to be the hardest game in the group for them because of the pressure. Opening day in front of in front of a seventy five thousand seat uh, sellout, 
like it was always going to be a massive pressure for them. And I think for them, the game was just about winning. They knew what way Ireland were going to play. They were just going to have to come and try and break Ireland down and try and get to, try and get to Ireland. And the only thing you will say is when when the penalty came, you know they were piling on the pressure at that stage. They were they were they were pushing forward. They were trying to trying to trying to get the goal. And you you could see that a lot of things, the passages they were trying, were, were, a lot of them were working quite well. For Australia, they'll be extremely happy just to walk away with a with a one 0 win, knowing that knowing Nigeria is next and a win against Nigeria would see them would see them guarantee their place into the into the next round. And I think for them to have that that done with a game to spare, you're right in what you're saying. Will they play Sam Kerr against Canada? I think I think they will. I think they will if she's fit. For the simple fact of the matter is that you'd want to top that group, not finish second, because if you finish second, there's a high pot probability that you're gonna that you play England in the last sixteen and. From an Australia viewpoint, I think they'd want to avoid avoiding, and if at all, if at all possible, especially so early on. Let's talk about some of the other games that took place over the the course of the first two days of action. Five games down so far. That one, obviously, Ireland Australia caught most of our viewers and, and listeners' attention. But uh, the other game in the group played this morning in the early hours of the morning. Canada and Nigeria. Canada came into the game top seeds in the group, essentially. Uh, well, top seed, top ranked team in the group. Uh, given Australia were seated as the hosts, but Nigeria not given much of a hope um, in in progressing out of this, and surprised everybody. Phenomenal penalty save uh, by their goalkeeper just after half time. Clear, very clear penalty given by VAR, uh, but no doubt about it. And Christine Sinclair unable to to find the net. A fabulous save from the keeper. I'm not sure how much of the game you would have caught yourself. I was traveling. I was traveling during the game. I only, I only seen bits. I seen, I seen the the penalty save. But for me, the one thing I will say about Nigeria and the Ireland camp have sort of said this as well in, in the build in the build up to the World Cup is the is the fact of they're the best team in Africa, but they, they, their their world ranking probably doesn't do them justice because of the fact that it costs an awful lot of money for sort of African teams to come and play in Europe and play against the best teams in the world. So they're sort of only playing against a lot of teams that are. Uh, lower level to them in Africa and stuff like that. So their world ranking wouldn't really do them justice. They've some really, really, really good players. The fact that they, they'd held Canada to a draw, like for them, it gives them massive confidence going into that Australia game. And like even even for in terms of in terms of Ireland, like we always said Nigeria were never going to be a pushover in this in this group. And I think they've really shown that and they've started the, the competitiveness of them it's 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 a testament to them, especially considering if you look at the stuff that was going on, like this, the two teams that played in this game, the, the build up to the World Cup has probably been poor for the both of them in terms of the off the field stuff, the Canada with with the finances and and the budgets. Would they get there? What was going to happen? There was you look back to the She Believes Cup earlier in the year, and the players were talking about potentially striking because there wasn't enough finances there for them even to potentially do pre World Cup training camps and stuff like that. Nigeria sort of their pre World Cup games were, were massively limited, so. It's been a it's been a difficult one for them, and I think both sides for both sides they'll have just looked look been been looking to kick off the World Cup. I expect both sides to take a, a step on from it. Canada well they had a lot of well they had a lot of chances. Yes, they might rue that penalty the penalty the penalty save, but they still have themselves in, in a good position in a good position. A draw is not the not the end of the world for them, and I think well, well on that no, on that let me because. I think actually they've put themselves in a bit of trouble now because they're unlikely to get a result in the bit of turmoil they're in. They're unlikely to get a result out of the Australia game now. Australia will be mm-hmm. big favourites for that, but they now go into a game against Ireland, 
who know that a draw probably sets Ireland up to go and, and compete with Nigeria and, and leapfrog Canada with a positive result against Nigeria. So I think that's got to be a concern for Bev Priestley now at this stage. Actually, when you when you think when you think about it like that, especially if you if you look at the way thing, the way things are going, it could, if, if if the Ireland if the Ireland game isn't the vic- see the thing for them is if they were to get a draw against the Ireland, obviously going into the going into the last game with two points, yeah, you're right. It could be it could be a bit of a, a who's who. Then they'd have to get a result against a result against Australia. But the only thing is though, for example, if if Australia were to beat Nigeria and, and Ireland were to draw with Canada. Would Australia then rest a lot of players in the last game, knowing that six points top of the table is already assured? That's that's the other question that you've got to ask. And like, oh, I don't go, know. I think when... if you get a chance to knock a, a team like Canada that have players um, spread across the world at the top level, uh, I think I'd prefer to eliminate a Canada than eliminate a, an Ireland or a Nigeria. You'd fancy your chances against Ireland or Nigeria in a potential quarterfinal or semi-final matchup. Uh, if it was to happen down the line, rather than having to face a Canada with a Christine Sinclair, Jordan uh, Hetmo at the t- up front, she was impressive. I thought today as well for Canada, and I think um, I'd want rid of Canada ASAP. I love your I love your ruthlessness, and in fairness, you're you're right. And I think from an Ireland viewpoint, maybe that this is why Ireland sort of like you, you look for him speaking to the players after the game. They were, they were still in high spirits. And I, I suspect this morning when we speak to them again, they'll be even in more high spirits because the result yesterday is probably the ideal result from an Irish viewpoint is the fact that they're not going, that they're not going to pair with Canada already on three points. They're going, then they, they now go now. And if they get something out of that game, it will come down to the last game against Nigeria. And I think that's probably the biggest thing from an Irish viewpoint. But then again, Nigeria, what sort of performance are they going to put in against against Australia? That's the next question you got to ask: Is will Australia be too strong for them? They should be too strong for them. But if Nigeria can write their luck a little bit, there's there's a potential that Nigeria could get something out of that game, and then we're sort of looking into the last round of games with, with, with a lot still to play for. And I think in terms of this group, while while it's being built, it's being built as the group of death. It could be it could be a group that. That potentially could go all the way, and depending on the results in the next game, and like from a, from a Canada viewpoint, the more I actually think of it, it's probably is a massive rude, rude missed missed opportunity with the pound with the penalty as well, because it it probably would have taken a lot of lot, lot of pressure off them, as you say, Gareth, because it's 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 it's, it's I, a big part. I'm going to make a bit of a bold prediction in our group. I think Ireland could qualify out of the group on two points. I think Ireland will struggle to score against both Canada, Nigeria. We might get a one-all draw in one game, a nil-nil draw in the other, and the other two teams will be beaten by more by Australia than we were, and we could get through on a with a negative goal difference on two points uh, and face England in the in the last sixteen. I said it now. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. I'd love to see us pick up a win and and make it a little bit more comfortable. But I think Ireland are going to get through, and I think we could do it on two points uh, in what would not be a particularly impressive campaign. I think if we go at the, the Canadians and the Nigerians in the next two games, I think we could beat both. I think the six points there for us, I think we will not approach the games in those manner, though, based on what I've seen in the build-up, and I'd be concerned about how we are approaching the games. But that's just me. Um, in terms of the other games, let's quickly run through some of them before we bring Jeremy in. Jeremy, of course, was watching uh, the Spain-Costa Rica game for us earlier, and he's also... Going to preview the uh, the US side who kickstart their campaign in just a 
couple of hours uh, against, um, I think it's Vietnam they're playing in a couple of weeks. All these teams, it gets very confusing to keep track of who's playing who. But uh, Philippines and Switzerland, Switzerland blew them away pretty much in the end. Philippines fielding a team completely consisting of players not born in the Philippines, all born to... Uh, various diaspora, I think eight in the US, one, uh, Angela Beard had a couple of appearances for Australia, including one against uh, Ireland back in Tallis Stadium two years ago. Uh, probably their strongest player, to be fair to her, Angela Beard, but uh, Philippines didn't really have what it took to, to up against Switzerland, 2-0 winners in the end, although they probably should have scored more. Not a great result from the Swiss uh, in the end of things, and, and Spain, we might bring Dermot in before we get to that. Let's hear quickly your thoughts on the, the Philippines-Switzerland game. Just first off, I'm not surprised to see the Philippines doing what they've done in terms of the, the players not born in the country because when you look back, even when Ireland played them in the friendly before Ireland went to Georgia last year, they, were, they, they weren't the great side. Ireland probably should have, should, have, should have put them to the sword. But from a Switzerland viewpoint, probably should have scored at least five or six goals and should have should have won a lot more comfortably. The problem is is it's the first game of the World Cup. It's always going to be, it's always going to be difficult. And I think that's where we, we'll sort of see a, a few things. But... Like when when we when we speak to Dermot, like there's some some games when you look at the, the opening game of the World Cup where some teams might put others to the slaughter. But I think from a, a Switzerland viewpoint, it's just about starting that campaign off with a, with a with a good positive three points. Maybe that Philippine side are a little bit better considering that some of the players that they do have. But I can't see them really troubling in the group at all. Another impressive penalty, of course. That has been one uh, system. Uh, one thing we've, I've noticed over the first couple of games, first four games, penalty in each one of them as well. Let's bring Jermit in. Uh, he's been sitting patiently in the in the background there, uh, listening to us yabber on on and on and on about different games. Jermit, you uh, picked up the Spain Costa Rica game today. Uh, I know you were kind of keeping an eye on that. What do you think about it uh, from a football point of view? Spain much better than Costa Rica? Um, yeah, I suppose Spain were look. It was a fairly close game, and then, you know, a ball goes into the box. It goes in off of a, of a Costa Rican defender, and it goes into the net. And Spain go one nil up, probably against the run of play. You know, they had the chances, they had a better share of the possession, and then six minutes later, it's three nil. Out of nowhere, Spain take a three nil lead, and then for the rest of the game, they're knocking on the door. They're trying to create chances. They're passing it around. They looked. At, they looked a team. With, with pure confidence against Costa Rica. They looked strong. They were probably one of the tournament favourites going in, someone that you would see fancy to go towards the semi-final or even make a final of this Women's World Cup. They, a 3-0 win in your opening group game is definitely something you will take. Plenty positives. I guess they will have, have a few negatives. Maybe they should feel that they dominated the game a bit more, maybe scored a few more goals, missed a couple of chances... But look, it's three 0 win, dominant as far as they are concerned, and you know they'll they'll be hopeful now of moving on and topping that group. Yeah, but just on the Spain's best player, probably one of the best players in the world, Alexa Patelis, coming off the bench only for thirteen minutes. Is that a sign of maybe Spain realizing that they didn't need to use all the big guns in the opening day? Look, I suppose you know. Um, I, I guess with Costa Rica, where they. Were they seeing Costa Rica as, as the minnows and that they should get the results? Probably. Um, you know, was she nursing an injury? Was she maybe not a hundred percent fit? Again, that could be the question. Look, she came on in the 13 or so minutes that she was on the pitch. She looked very impressive, could have had a goal for herself as well. She had a great a great chance toward the end of it. And 
look, I suppose there will be games. I know you're obviously talking about, you know, Nigeria and Canada, what way we could see Ireland moving their squad for those games. I guess taking on Costa Rica, Spain might say, look, we want to give some players minutes, make a couple of substitutions, give players, so try and get as much game time because, you know, it, it is going to be a long tournament, especially if Spain are to be considering themselves a team that should be going into semifinals or even the final. You have to give players and try and give them their chance. But look, they gave her, they gave her the chance. They were they were up 3-0 at that stage. Give her, give her 12, 13 minutes and she might start the next day. Yeah, in terms of that group, of course, Zambia and Japan, the other two teams in there. Can either of them challenge Spain for that top spot? Uh, I know we haven't seen them yet. Uh, they only we've, seen Zambia, we've seen Zambia in, in the build-up. Like, you look at Zambia's build-up. They've, they've, they were close against Ireland, drew with Switzerland and beat Germany in the build-up. This Zambia, the Zambia front three are electric. I wouldn't be surprised to see Zambia causing an awful lot of trouble in this group. Yes, probably Japan are, are, are probably favourites to finish, to be there thereabouts with Spain for the top two. But I wouldn't be surprised if Zambia put a put it massively up to up to Japan and put it up to your sides in the group. How important is this game, Aaron? In your opinion, at eight o'clock Irish time this morning. I say this morning, tomorrow morning in Irish time, uh, Zambia, Japan. Is that could that be key to both sides' progression uh, chances out of that Group C or Group D? I think Group uh, C. I I think so. Yes, I think Spain will top the group. So I think the winners of this, the this two, these two teams, could could will finish will finish second. But like I was just really really impressed with Zambia in the build up to the World Cup, and I think they'll 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 grow even more from it. Like as I did say, the front three again caused Ireland caused Ireland massive problems, caused Switzerland massive problems, caused Germany massive problems, and I think for them, the African sides are, are very very underrated. Japan, Japan, if Japan can get through this game with three points, they'll they'll be Costa Rica. And I think the Spain game for them will, will decide who finishes top. And like, it's not an easy it's not an easy group. A lot of people probably would have said when the draw is made, oh, Zambia will finish third. Zambia will probably finish third or fourth, but. I think they're coming into this World Cup right bang on form and they'll, they'll give Japan a good game. Two of the teams that get their c- campaign started uh, today in your world, Aaron, but tomorrow in ours, uh, the US, and that's going to get confusing the whole way through this tournament, But because um, technically it's tomorrow where you are. We're, we're speaking to you in the future, but um, England get their campaign underway tomorrow. They face... Um, they're playing a hating uh, game yeah. they should be expected to win that game kicks off at 10 30 a.m i'd expect a, a reasonably big irish audience to be watching that purely it's only, it's only down the road for me are you going to go to the game to get tickets i don't i don't have tickets yet but um i may end up going to it i'm going to watch a different sport first in the afternoon so i may i may end up cross cross city uh, straight after to Going to catching to watch again. different sport now that's see that's you can't make a comment like that and not tell us more about what you're up to <laughs> Tiddlywinks. I'm off watching AFL. Brisbane Lions are playing Geelong at a half four in, in, in the Gabba. So I'm off to watch a bit of British Lions. And then I'm hoping to, depending what time I get out there, I might just grab some cheap tickets and head to the head, head over head over and watch the England game. After your feline uh, exploits between the Lions and the Cats. I, I, I like it. Uh, in terms of the, the game, though, um, and you talked about cheap tickets. I watched one of the games this morning in particular. Um, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Possibly the Philippines and Switzerland. Um, and definitely Nigeria and Canada. Very disappointing crowds. Now, probably still 15,000, 20,000. So I'm probably comparing it unfairly to what you'd expect in a men's tournament. But disappointing to see empty stadiums at this point. Like These games have been fixed for six or eight months. You would think at this point that the organizers would have 
judge the prices right to get crowds in, even if it's even if it's um like Dunedin was the venue, I think, for the Canada game. Like there's enough of a population around Dunedin that are sports mad. It's a university town. Canada game was Melbourne. Was Canada game not Melbourne? Oh, apologies. Yeah, no, it was Philippines. Switzerland was in was in Dunedin. Um, but for you, tickets, the cheap the cheap tickets are like ten dollars for some of the cheap tickets. Like they've they've really 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 priced the tickets very well for the World Cup, and that's probably the, the thing that you're you know you'd be a little bit surprised about. But then again, you look at the Qatar World Cup and the amount of empty seats they were constantly seeing in, in Qatar as well. Like it's is it a case that people are are buying them? Because oh, like if I look on the FIFA ticket app, like for example. The the Ireland game in Perth, there's no tickets. There's no tickets available. There's limited resale tickets for France, France Brazil, and in Brisbane as well. Like it seems as though a lot of people have snapped up the tickets, whether they've changed their travel plans in the end and, and don't sort of make the venues. That could be that could be part of it, and they don't put the tickets up for resale or or things like that. Because because to be honest with you, when you look at when you look at a lot of ticketing the, the apps for tickets, a lot of tickets are, are probably. A lot of main, main, a lot of main categories are probably gone for a lot of tickets. Yeah, it's disappointing if people let you buy them that they don't take them up on that. Uh, Dermot, we might move to you for a moment. Uh, let's talk USA. Alex Morgan on her side, out in action in just over two hours' time. Vietnam hardly the the biggest roadblock on their way to the knockout stages. But um, what's your thoughts? You've uh, done a bit of research into this group and into this USA team. Yeah, look, I guess this is the kind of game that you would expect the U.S. to win. Their opening game, you know, four years ago, their opening game was a 13-0 hammering of Thailand. Um, don't think we might see 13 goals, although for a 2 o'clock in the morning game here, definitely be an entertaining watch if we get a couple of goals in a game. We've only seen three being the max scored in a game so far, but I suppose it's a game with the likes of the Netherlands and their group. That's going to be a tough battle between the two of them to see who finishes top think the US just have enough to do it but the Netherlands are looking well under new management they've really really shown their class and you have the debutants Portugal as well so we'll have to see what way they fare at the World Cup as well but as far as tonight is concerned or should I say tomorrow morning Irish time two o'clock in the morning um you know I think a lot a lot of stuff going into it is that you know Vietnam are the uh, you know they're the underdog and you know they have come out and said you know there could be a wild card here. They could easily produce a shock. And you know, if Vietnam were to beat a US team trying to go for a three in a row, that would be a monumental result already at this World Cup. Um, probably the most surprising result we've had is New Zealand winning the, the opening game against Norway. I don't know if many people saw that coming, but you know, if the US don't get it done tonight and they do have their fair share of injuries, and you know, they're in a transition period where a lot of their older players, the likes of, you know, Megan Rapinoe is going to be in our last World Cup. Is she going to get minutes every game? we we'll have to wait and see. Tonight is probably the game where you see her potentially getting a good few minutes in the likes of Vietnam, um, depending on what way, you know, things go later on in the World Cup, what way they will they will utilise having her in, the, in their squad. But I, I, can't, I can't see anything bar a US win tonight. They've got some terrific young players coming through the ranks and Vietnam have only one player in their squad that's playing overseas. She's playing in, in Portugal at the moment. The rest of them are all home-based. Looks at the US, like the, the talent that they have at their arsenal. I know they have, you know, the likes of, you mentioned Alex Morgan there, but they have so many other young players, young hungry players that want to win the World Cup. And I, I could genuinely see them producing a phenomenal result. 
in the opening. You haven't game. mentioned Sophia Smith either. Uh, she's been setting the world alight for the last six to twelve months in that uh, both in Portland and also with the national team. I think she comes into this competition not quite an unearthed talent, but definitely at the World Cup level as someone who could really light this tournament up. We, as you mentioned, we haven't seen a lot of goals. She's been generating and scoring goals for herself uh, at will almost in the NWSL. I think Sophia Smith is, you know, the the player that America is, is going to rely on the most. It's the player that all eyes are on. The player's probably got the most pressure on their shoulders to perform. As I said, you know, they're in that transition period. They're in a time where a lot of their older players are, you know, a lot of players that are injured, um, players that now need to step up to the plate. And she seems to be the one, you know, she was MVP last year and the youngest on record to, to win it. And, you know, she's scoring goals for fun, as you mentioned there. And America, you know, they need that firepower up front when they have such big names missing in their squad. They need a player like her to step up to the plate. And I think she will do it. You know, we will see from the first game what way she plays. But I think every team that goes into playing America will know just how much of a threat she will bring, how much they're going to rely on her. Um I think knowing about it and doing something about it are two very different yeah. things. Aaron, how much have you seen of Sophia? Has she impressed you? I've seen I've seen a good bit of her. Has impressed me massively. The other person who's impressed me as well is, is young Trinity Radman. Obviously, the surname speaks speaks volume for itself. But the USA team, yes, they may be someone coming towards the end of their careers, but like they're still a, a wealth of class and a wealth of experience in that sort of team. Like. Dermot talks about Megan Rapino, but the problem is Megan Rapino could go out and score a hat trick today and then all of a sudden be nailed on and play every game for the USA. That's that's the way the sort of the USA the USA work. Like you, then you got the looks of Julia. She probably made her comeback against Ireland, having had a baby. And like it's it's one of them that this sort of game will tell us nothing about the USA. The USA will come through this game flying colours, they'll probably slide through it at least six or seven nil, I'd say, and it'll be easy enough for them. And then then you're sort then you're sort of looking at, at then when they when they start to get the test. I think the Dutch game's the only game that they'll really get a test in the group. But like they're they're a great, great side and they're they're probably favourite they'd be favourites for the World Cup and probably deserve to be favourites still, even even though some of their players are getting a little bit more older. The good thing is they're not becoming as reliant on the likes of a Morgan or the likes of a Rapino anymore. Like because for many years they were reliant on Carly Lloyd, players like that, and now they sort of have the opportunity that the, the youngsters are coming through. Like even you look at it, look at them against Ireland when they played in in April, some of the younger the younger players really stepped up for the USA in, in that sort of game, and I'd expected it. I'd expected again. Like even even with Becky Sauber and the captain being left out, they, they didn't take any risks. Where some countries might have just brought her and said, "Okay, let's see if she's fit. We'll then take a chance." They were like, "No, she, she's not fit. We're not making that chance." And I think the ruthlessness of the USA is probably something that will stand for them massively. And I'm excited to see how they get on in this campaign. You mentioned Morgan there briefly, and she's been a standout player for the US for as long as I can remember, probably looking at the last 10 or 15 years. She's at a different stage of her career now. She's at a different stage of her life. She's married. She's got different, I suppose, priorities, as we all do as we move from our teens to our 20s into our 30s. How much of an impact is she likely to have on this game? She's still probably the biggest household name at the World Cup uh, coming into this competition, at least. I think I think Dermot, Dermot, I'm not sure about you, but I think she'll have a massive impact. I think she'll she'll be the one that they'll look upon, obviously as being captain, as as, as a lot of leadership. I th- I do think she'll be towards the fr- front and foremost of of the USA side. Will she start every game? Maybe not. Maybe maybe she won't. But she'll definitely have a massive impact on 
on on and off the field when she when she does play and and her, and her leadership is probably something that they probably value an awful an awful lot even when she isn't on the on the field like even you look at from an Australian viewpoint Sam Kerr wasn't on the field but Sam Kerr was still leading a lot of the team talks and stuff like that still leading a lot of the the, the talks because of our, our presence is so so well valued in that side and I'd say Alex Morgan is something very similar for the USA. Yeah, I, I'm looking at like the American squad is obviously, you know, as you mentioned there, they're missing Sorber and they're also missing Mallory Swanson, who would probably have been their main forward going into the, the World Cup. And I suppose the likes of the Morgan, you know, what way will, will Rapinoe be in the squad if she's not playing, as you mentioned there with the way that Sam Kerr was yesterday, is she going to be on the sideline kind of giving that bit of inspiration or, you know, is she going to start? against Vietnam today, as you said, scored three goals and she's just in every squad. I know she's 38, but she's probably still definitely having the quality to perform and shine at the World Cup. And I know that they have the likes of Alyssa Thompson and Rodman and Smith, who are, you know, three, just three of their young players who are coming through the ranks that can perform. But, you know, I definitely think America will be, will be contenders. I don't think anyone can write them off. Um, They will need to get, like, they will need to get the result today. The big, the biggest test, as you said, from for them in this group will be the Netherlands. Once we see what way they get on, get on against them, I think that might be the building blocks as to how far they could go at this World Cup. Two other teams obviously face off at uh, one PM Irish time on Saturday. That's Denmark and China. Um, China kind of have always been there, thereabouts at women's World Cups over the years. They've got to the latter stages a few times. They wouldn't be seen as a traditional football superpower in the men's game but but they definitely have been uh, a power in the women's game can they compete or have they kind of are are they still at the level where they can potentially go to a semi-final or final of this competition or even win the thing outright it's 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 difficult to say because for me you're looking at that group i'm expecting if I'm being honest, I'm expecting Denmark and England to come through that group. I, I'm not sure if China will get it. Will get out of the group. I, I just think that Denmark side is very strong with the likes of Pernar Harder, probably one of the world's world's best players. But then again, I expected an awful lot from Denmark when I watched Denmark in the Euros, and then watched them against Germany. And Germany blew them out. The, blew them out the gate. So sometimes they can blow a bit hot and cold. I think from a a China viewpoint, like if China can get something in the Denmark game, I don't see China getting anything out of the England game. Whereas this could be another group that maybe four points, four points decides the group, and it could be the case of who loses less by less to England and who who beats Haiti by the most. That that sort of gets them through. And if if they can get through, obviously if 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 China if China can get through, they'd play the winners of the Irish the winners of the Irish group if they finish second. Or so. Realistically, then you're looking at potentially potentially an Australia in the in the last sixteen, and it's not it's not an easy feat. So it'll be difficult to see the second place team in the, in this group sort of going very deep in the World Cup, in, in my opinion. But I, I think for China to get to China to, to have any hope of getting second to getting getting out of the group, they they have to beat Denmark, and I'm not sure they will. Yeah, I know. There's two yeah, young players up top for. Uh, for Denmark that I think are worth keeping an eye on. I know you mentioned uh, Pernell Harder. She's been around for a, a fair few years now with, with that Danish side. But for me, um, I think keep an eye on, I think she goes by Mila, Mila Jensen, Mila Gil Jensen. I'm not quite sure what, what her name is in, 
obviously the Danish uh, naming um, vernacular, I'm not quite sure, but uh, she has been impressive so far uh, for the same side as uh, Denise Sullivan in that North Carolina Courage team. Uh, she's been in and out of that team, but she's scored a couple of goals, and I think she's been impressive in some of the WNLs or NWSL games I've seen, and also uh, alongside her, Rika Madsen uh, could potentially be dangerous. Uh, she's also in that North Carolina Courage side. So at the same level, top of the league at the moment um, in the US and uh, arguably one of the best sides in the in the world in, in terms of club football. So interesting to see how she gets on um, as as the, the competition progresses. But harder, guaranteed to be kind of the, the main focus of that attack. But I think those two youngsters around her uh, potentially could have an impact in that Danish side, and I, I'd probably expect to see them come through. Um, when, just winning. with Nadine, with Nadine, Nadine, Nadine being out with ACL and ACL injury as well, I think them you mentioned could become even more important to to the Danish side in, in, the, in the World Cup because you know look look what she's doing when she's been playing they've been playing in the NWSL racing Louisiana she's been with Man City before. So I think realistically, firepower for Denmark could be really important. I do think they could, on their day, push England all the way. Just whether they're good enough on the day to get the three points is is the, is the big question. A race in Louisville, I think you meant to say there, but we won't. Louisville, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, they do have a game actually starting in about five minutes against the Chicago Red Stars, and I'm going to watch as soon as we finish up here uh, in in the Challenge Cup. It's kind of their version of the Avenir Cup. We're going to talk about that in just a couple of moments too. Um, quickly, as well, just to wrap up the World Cup conversation. Uh, we haven't seen Germany yet. We haven't seen Sweden yet, although we've seen them in recent years in Irish qualification campaigns. Uh, anyone in particular you're really excited to see? Maybe the Spanish when they kind of... Oh, they, they played today, but but the Portuguese as well. Any of these teams that kind of you're looking forward to seeing when they get the, the ball rolling in, in their own campaigns in the coming days? Um, Obviously, the Germans. The Germans are always, always impressive in the fact that Got to the European Championship final as well. Unlucky, unlucky. Some would say not not to win that final. Sweden were very Sweden were very good in Ireland's in Ireland's qualifying campaign. Albeit Ireland did get the point in in Gothenburg, but yeah, they'd be two that would stand out for me. I'm just intrigued to see how some of the minnows get on. I think the one, as I said earlier, Zambia is probably the one that I'm most intrigued to watch and see how they do because I think they could surprise a lot of people in the in this World Cup. It's it's a strange World Cup because it's the first time that we have. 32 teams as well for the Women's World Cup. So is it a case that as the World Cup goes on, we might see some bigger results? You're, you're sort of hoping not. You're sort of hoping the smaller teams can can stand up and, and really put a, a good fight up. I think the USA will set their stall out very well today and the next couple of days will, will really tell us how, how good some teams are. I probably regret asking this question uh, two hours ahead of the US team team but are we seeing a new standard you talked about the the increase in, in the size of the competition to 32 teams and uh, we've all seen those i have memories of an argentina side getting beaten 11 nil or potentially winning 11 nil against an asian side uh, some time ago in this competition like uh, big double figure scores have happened now we're seeing teams like costa rica like switzerland uh sorry like the philippines even um being within two or three goals are we seeing a more evening of the standard between the top sides at this level and, for want of a better word, the minnows in the, the fourth seeds in groups? It's, diff it's difficult It's difficult to say. You'd like to say yes, but then again, funding and things like that and facilities and stuff like that sort of still play a massive a massive part in it. We're start the one thing we are starting to see is we're starting to see a lot more of the minnow teams' players 
starting to play with bigger clubs and get bigger opportunities in terms of club football. Are we seeing the gap closing? At the minute, probably not. But maybe in four years' time, we'll see that gap close an awful lot more because of the amount of players that are, are being picked up by, by better clubs and having better playing alongside better players. But it's difficult to say because of the fact that it's the first time we've seen a World Cup at 32 as well. So how do you compare to the last World Cup? Because the last World Cup had a couple of minnows and as we've seen with the, the USA result, the 13-0 in the last campaign, nobody wanted to see that again. You'd, you'd like to hope we are going to avoid some of them, but there's, a, there's always a possibility that we could have one or two of them in, in the World Cup and then we start asking the question, is the gap getting bigger? You'd like to hope not. And hope, hopefully as the World Cup come, come, comes on, we'll see your question being answered where we see the gap is closing. That's the, that's the only hope that we are going to see. Jeremy, your thoughts? You meant you're the one that brought up that uh, uh, that demolition of Thailand some time ago. Yeah, like I suppose when you look at, at at Ireland's group, I guess you know Ireland would be probably the minnows, you know, the debutants, um, and getting that result against Australia, I guess, is probably a, a good result for them. And you know, I guess the Philippines result this morning would would they be considered, you know, one of the minnows in their group and I guess it's it's fairly close, but I guess we, as you said, we, we're only a couple of games in. I guess we're it's still early doors in the competition. Um, I guess this will the game that I'll be watching later on the US and Vietnam be the game that we see. We see the you know the the biggest victory to come from so far. Look, I'd say like it's, it's great to see the, seven goals. It's great to see the minnows coming in and like trying to put it in because I guess they're they're they don't have nothing to lose you know they're coming out they're playing in a world cup a lot of these teams are making their debuts at the world cup it's great for them the buzz and the atmosphere that you get from it is great I you know I, I don't think they will want those results you know you look back at that game four years ago Thailand don't want that record you know no one wants to look back at the history books and see you're probably one of the biggest defeats in the world cup history no one wants to be that person I don't think Vietnam Vietnam will go out, they'll play the US, they'll play without fear, but they probably will have it in the back of their minds that they don't want an absolute drubbing to see. You know, I'm watching a game at two o'clock in the morning after uh, <laughs> watching FAI Cup games this evening. It'd probably be interesting to see a six or seven nil win, but look, I suppose from a Vietnam can, perspective. Can I flip that. the question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a lot more... If we see a lot of closer results, is it because some of the Mino teams are playing more defensive and playing with two banks to five? Is that going to be the case? I, I don't think so. I think you look at the New Zealand game the other day. I don't think you could accuse New Zealand, who were the fourth seeds in that group. Oh, no, they were the first seeds in that group, but they were playing against the um, a team that were expected to beat them comfortably. I think I can't remember verbatim what was said on the RTE panel before the game, but um, Richie Sadlier 100% said that New Zealand had no chance of winning the game. Now, I'm not saying he didn't know what he was doing. I didn't disagree with him at all. And New Zealand came out and they played attacking football with a a purpose from the first minute of the game to the 90th minute of the game. And they looked like they deserved that win. And I think it was exactly what we saw from Ireland in that last 20 minutes where when we went at them, when we took the shackles off a little bit and let our players play, we created any amount of problems for Australia. And I think if we maintain that, I would rather see Ireland do that for 90 minutes against um, Nigeria and Canada and have a go and try and get out of the group 
um, by playing attacking football, uh, forward passing, and uh, looking at looking at to get a, a attack going at every opportunity, and and lose two or three nil in games, then just sit back and try and soak up that pressure and hit them on the break because it wasn't pretty to watch. It was effective, but it definitely wasn't pretty to watch. And I think I'd, I'd prefer to see Ireland have a go and at least try and, and get out of the group uh, with a positive uh, attitude. We are running out of time, and I do want to talk about the Avenir Cup. Both of you have been at games or have been watching games in that competition here in Ireland over the last um, probably four to five weeks now at this stage. It's kind of been a bit of, refresh, a bit of fresh air uh, to the whole scene with thrown up really new and interesting combinations of games that maybe haven't been seen before in this country with the likes of Linfield and Galway or Cliftonville and Sligo Rovers. And I suppose all of them come together on Sunday in in the showgrounds. Uh, Cliftonville have reached the final from their side of the draw. Galway represent the other side of the draw. We've North versus South. We've got the kind of the dream final in a lot of respects. Um, it's not a final that anybody would have picked or predicted at the start of the competition. But Aaron, I suppose I'll start with you. Um, Happy with the way the competition has come in? Do you think this is going to be a good final on Sunday? Yeah, I think it'll be a very, very, very competitive final. I think it'll be a very, it'll be a very good game. It's probably from from a, a, a South point of view, it's probably the team we maybe didn't expect to be in the final. From from a, a North point of view, it's a sort of side you said, okay, they'd probably make the final considering their, their performances. But God, I've just grown massively throughout this competition, and and they've they've taken it so seriously that they've you know they've put their best eleven out on every on every day, and it make it makes for a, a good spectacle. The fact that it's two sides who have been who've been how to say been doing very well in their group. Like you look, yes, I take take away Cliftonville's draw against Sligo. Cliftonville had nothing to play for in that game. They were already true, so you can sort of imagine. How to, how in the, going into that game, we are already true into the semi-final, but it's been two very, very good sides, and it'll be a very, very competitive game. The only question that I would, I would like to know, but I think I think I know the answer, but it hasn't been confirmed. It's just that if it does finish level, I assume it goes straight to penalties, and there's no extra time like the the semi-finals as well, because I wouldn't be surprised if this is this is a game that goes all the way. Jeremy, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I've, I've been very impressed by the competition. I think it was it was a great initiative to bring in to give you know teams more more competition to play in. Um, give players that we mightn't see on a regular basis starting in the in the women's Premier Division for those teams the chance to shine at the level and for the likes of you know just to single out Cork for for an example, say that you know they could have easily fought for the chance to be in a final when their I guess their league form hasn't been great that it gives a team like that the confidence to do it and you, you look at Galway now Galway have been phenomenal this year you know their first year look under the United umbrella if you want to call it that um, Phil Trill has done a, a phenomenal job and I'd have to agree with Aaron when I say that the game on, on Sunday is probably going to go the distance but we have another penalty shoot and obviously Galway have the have the advantage there from from the last uh, from the last day, so it's it's all to play for. But it's been a it's been a great competition and you know a great chance of silverware for the teams on Sunday. And I guess as you mentioned, it was the dream final in a way for for these teams. 
Yeah, of course, uh, the game is live on LOI TV. And you'll be fortunate enough to, not, to have to listen to me for 90 minutes on the commentary of that game on Sunday afternoon. So my apologies in advance about that. You've only ha- had me for 60 minutes tonight. Uh, gents, it's it's uh, getting to that stage of the of the night. Uh, your thoughts on the, the four games tomorrow? Are we looking at all the favourites progressing, USA, England, Denmark, and then could Zambia be the one that, that kind of uh, upset the apple cart in terms of form or expectation? Zambia for me is the only one that I'd see potentially causing any sort of upset. I think the other games would be comfortable, be comfortable enough there in saying that Zambia could come come up just short against Japan. I wouldn't be surprised if Japan win the game maybe one 0 but I think it will be clo- it will be close. The other two, the other three games will probably be comfortable enough. Yeah, what well, and to finish up, uh, I suppose German. I might as well get your input on that as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'd say it's 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 pretty much the same as Aaron there. I guess that one game. Between Zambia and Japan, you know, Japan are a former winner of the competition. They're no, they're no slouches in, in this competition. They have the experience. Uh, we have seen Zambia. I think that game is going to be cl- a close. Might even be a draw. They might even be a winner in, in that game. It's it's very, very tough to tell. But I, I guess the likes of you know, for me, the US, England, definitely will, will get the results, and I think Denmark will get their results as well. Um, it's very hard to look past that. Fairness. Yeah, I think it's it's a day for miracles. I think I'm I'm predicting at least one uh, surprise because we've had two on the show tonight. You might not even have noticed it, but we've got a Kerry man and a Dublin man a week out from an All Ireland final, and no one's mentioned it so far. So I figured as the Leitrim man who knows nothing about All Ireland finals, uh, I would throw that one in the mix. We also had a Kerry man giving Cork credit, something you'll never ever see again in the history of Irish sport. Gents, it's been a pleasure as always. Aaron, enjoy the lovely weather in Brisbane if you can get out in the weather. Uh, try and find the air conditioning. I'm sure even in the winter over there it's still a pretty bacon in during the day what's the weather conditions like yeah it was it was quite warm it was quite warm yesterday it was up to like 23 23 degrees yesterday so be warm again today but a bit of sun cream will probably be, be needed as well so can't complain i will get out i'm gonna get it get out here get out here shortly over to the irish media event and then get exploring the city a little bit Okay, well, listen, enjoy uh, enjoy your day, enjoy your, the city, and we'll uh, catch up with you very, very soon. Jeremy, we'll be covering games on the platform over the weekend. Loads to come, both in the Women's World Cup, the Avenir Cup final, and plenty, plenty more across all the Gaelic games. And uh, a bit of everything thrown in on finalwhistle.ie over the next couple of days. Uh, Aaron, oh, we did actually get one comment. We might as well bring that in. Uh, it's not actually that interesting, so we won't uh, flash it up on the screen. But Oshin McGuinness, hello to you too. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, that you've joined us for the last little bit. And just, just for our accuracy he did just say hello so we're just saying hello back uh gents it's just to show we are live Oshin, you, you can take it uh, from that uh, aaron uh happy uh happy uh saturday we haven't quite reached there yet we tick in in the next minute or so or maybe just a few moments ago um and we will check eight you. minutes past 12 o'clock i know i've lost track of time but we're not, we haven't gone over the hour and as aaron is, knows it that is, is it, it is getting very confusing with the time the time changes and everything it's well listen us uh, america starting uh, just under two hours england just over 10 hours at 10 a.m tomorrow morning irish time i know we'll be watching them on this platform uh join us or watch it on rt player uh, or wherever you are following the Women's World Cup. Uh, it's been exciting so far. We've no doubt it's going to continue to throw up some fantastic games over the next couple of weeks. We'll be coming back to you in the next couple of days. We don't quite know schedules. We'll bring it to you as soon as we can because Aaron is uh, on different time zones as us. So we kind of have to... It's either going to be early morning or late night like this, but we will uh, hopefully have it for you on uh, on demand as you want it uh, ahead of all of the games in the competition. Aaron, enjoy your day in Brisbane. Uh, we don't have any jealousy issues at all. I swear, six months of jealousy now still still going still going and uh, we'll talk to you soon thanks a million gents for joining us